Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. DraftKings is not only this hack's favorite sports book, but also America's top-rated sports book. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook because it's, it's easy to navigate and has plenty of instructions for newbies and nearly limitless ways for you to get in on the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know because they've been texting me as such, and I know you will too. So listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 inside credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if your team comes home, you win $100 inside credits. Now, don't forget... DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds on promotions such as baseball, hockey, Major League Baseball, MMA, and plenty others. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on any basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. Newcomers only. Wager paid out inside credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Game over. Hello and welcome to Game Over, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, where we say goodbye to each and every NHL team, whether they want to, or not. Well, on this week's episode, as you could tell by the headline, is that we are trying to go for a little bit of a northern flair this week. This is a team I was excited to bring on because I can't wait to talk about what these guys are gone through for the past checks notes. One, two, three, four, four years. Dear God, that's depressing. But anyway, we're gonna head to the Great White North finally. I've been waiting to talk to a northern a Canadian team and I'm finally going to do it. This team was founded in 1917 officially. They've gone under several name changes. They have won 13 Stanley Cups, last one being we will not mention that. They have had 21 Stanley Cup appearances and have such names in the rafters such as Rod Kelly, Johnny Bauer, Tim Horton, George Armstrong, Wendell Clark, Daryl Suttler, Doug Gilmore, Matt Sadeen, and many more. I am talking about none other than the blue and white, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And joining me from not another Leafs podcast is is Ken, Kenneth. How proper. Kenneth, joining me from not another Leafs podcast. Ken, thank you for joining me, ma'am. 
Yeah, no problem, Richard. <laughs> I wish it were under different circumstances, given the name of the podcast, Game Over. Thank God the season ended a little bit prematurely to the liking of most Maple Leaf fans, but here we are. So thank you so much for having me. Not a problem, man. I, I would have liked to have gotten you in the winner's segment, um, and I'm sure a lot of in Canada would would have would have done that. So I will start off with the same question to you as I have said to everyone who's come on so far. What happened? As the kids like to say, what what happened with Toronto? God help us all. Well, the long and short of it is, Rich, is that the same thing happened that's been happening for, as you noted, the last four years. Except this year, it seems like it was exponentially worse. You know, you're going into the playoffs on a hot streak, best team in the division, uh, been playing really well against Montreal basically over the last two or three seasons. The team was feeling confident heading into that series, and ultimately it was, as I've said on other podcasts in the past, a 12 out of 10 choke job by this Leafs team to blow a 3-1 series lead against, what, to be quite honest, is an inferior opponent on paper. Now, it's easy to look back in hindsight now and say the Habs are in the Stanley Cup final and you, know, you got knocked out by the eventual champion, but the fact of the matter is that when you're up three three to one against a team that you've dominated in the regular season you need to be able to seal the deal ultimately it came down to the top players on the toronto maple leafs not being able to put up the numbers albeit no john Tavares, but i don't think that that's an excuse every team runs into injuries in the playoffs and i thought that kyle dubas did a pretty good job of adding at the trade deadline to subsidize the roster in case there were injuries they just weren't over to overcome able to overcome uh lackluster performances from Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. We can call a spade a spade. They didn't show up in the playoffs. If your best players don't show up and take up that much of your salary cap and you aren't getting secondary scoring, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And Toronto finds themselves in a similar situation that they've been in for the last four or five seasons where they're into the playoffs and then out in the first round. This is said about the NBA playoffs, and I think it's true in the NBA as well. Jalen Rose has said, in the NBA playoffs, you – you knew you take out your top two scorers and you force the rest of the team to beat the other team that's in front of you. And you could say the same thing for the NHL as well. You've seen that with, like you said, uh, Matthews Marner, and you could have swapped out Marner for Tavares this year. It just in another year, not this year. It just seems like again, more of the same, you know, where's the depth, you know, where's, Where's the so-called scoring touch this team had all year? Well, they relied big time on their top-end players to show up. And although Tavares had a slow start to the beginning of the season, he finished up uh, just shy of a point-per-game player. I thought William Nylander was the best forward in that series against the Canadians. I believe he netted four or five goals for Toronto in that series. Ultimately, they rely on their big guns. And when you're going to tie that much of your the percentage of your cap into certain players – you need them to show up and play. And, you know, Austin Matthews has a campaign where he runs away with the Rocket Richard with Mitch Marner on his wing. But for whatever reason, they weren't able to, you know, parlay that success in the regular season into success in the postseason. And now, unfortunately for them, it's starting to run a narrative that this group doesn't understand the will to win. You thought that maybe the additions of veterans such as Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and the return of Jason Spezza, who I also thought was outstanding during in the playoffs very happy to see him coming back next year for a league minimum deal you thought that that might be enough to push it over the top but for this group it wasn't this year and they come up short they blow a 3-1 lead and 
ultimately, a lot of Maple Leaf fans can look back and whether or not they would have got past Winnipeg or Vegas is kind of arbitrary. A lot of Maple Leaf fans look at the Habs being in the Stanley Cup final, and it's hard not to sit back and think what could have been if they could have just closed out that series against Montreal. Ooh, Toronto and Vegas sounds, oh, so much fun. And, you know, I, there was part of me that was pulling for the, for the Leafs as well. Um, I'm sure you see. I just wanted more Steve Dangle playoff videos. I'm being greedy. I just wanted more of him. But covering the Montreal series, like doing the live broadcast for them now, and I was like, oh, this must be really burning this guy's soul to be doing the play-by-play over the Habs, uh, you know, conference finals games or final four games, however you want to call it. It's uh, just been a crazy, crazy uh, <laughs> turn of events. I mean, for. For F's sake, they even lit up the CN Tower in Toronto, the Montreal Colors. And that really got the fan base irritated <laughs> faster than <laughs> I've seen uh, in quite some time. It's like it was just uh, such a disaster for this group. And a lot of questions now moving into the offseason about what the right moves forward are going to be. And what a transition that is. That's what we do here on the podcast. Smooth transitions. So let's go into when Cthulhu comes a calling. Who gets left out on the curb? by Toronto for when Seattle comes by in about checks notes in about a month at the time of this recording. Wow. Where does the time go? The expansion draft is sneaking up. Certainly rich. And I would anticipate that likely the Leafs will go with the four, four protecting eight skaters. I suspect that those skaters will be Austin Matthews, John Tavares, who has to be protected because he has a no movement clause. William Nylander and Mitch Marner will round out the forward group for the defensemen. I suspect that, that you protect Riley, Brody, Muzzin, and Justin Hall. So basically, that would allow that would leave uh, the main, I guess, uh, attractive part pieces for the Kraken would either be Alexander Kerfoot or um, on the, uh, the the defense Travis Dermott. I think uh, a lot of UFAs in this group moving forward: uh, Felino UFA, Thorin UFA, Simmons UFA, Riley Nash UFA, Galchenyuk. I think might come back for a league minimum deal if they can get him. Hyman also a UFA. I can't really see him coming back into the blue and white if uh, the reports are indeed true that he could fetch up to six million dollars on the open market. That's just going to price him out of Toronto's uh, ability to pay for another winger at that price point. So I expect that he'll probably be on the way out. Frederick Anderson, I think, has played his last season in the, in the Toronto Maple Leafs uniform. Uh, for better or for worse, he wasn't able to get it done in the postseason. And in a year where he was expected to, well, or he was in a contract season, he battled injuries all year and ultimately wasn't able to regain his form. So he's kind of fallen out of favor. Will likely just want a raise in the offseason of his uh, current salary of $5 bucks. So Toronto is going to want to fork that over. I would see them going with a tandem system anchored by Jack Campbell, who they will protect as the goaltender. And then maybe they bring in a veteran backup or re-sign David Riddich, however it is that they want to proceed. But they're going to need to find value at that position. So it certainly seems to me, I mean, you could make the argument that either Hall or Dermott's which one would be protected. I tend to think Hall is the better value and has proven that he can be a substantial piece of your top four in the decor as long as he's playing alongside Jake Muzzin. So for me, it's uh, Kerfoot and Dermott. One of them is uh, getting shipped out of town. It really depends on what Ron Francis values. If he wants a guy who can play on the wing in his top six, uh, maybe play a third-line center role, or a guy who has potential to be on the third pair, maybe second pair defenseman in the NHL. So it remains to be seen. I think out of all the out of all the teams I've asked, with maybe the slight exception of Washington, who was previously on the show, go check that out 
on wherever you're listening, podcast platform you're listening, you seem to be like one of the more uh, tempting names that, that are out there. I mean, like you said, uh, uh, Kerfoot's out there. Uh, maybe Brooks, who's only t- only 25. That's a young guy you take and just sort of build around, you know, as a middle six guy for the next couple years. He seems one of the more attractive teams this year for the expansion draft. And that that's, I know not for your team specifically, but that's kind of the more fun of it. Once we get into more of these upper echelon teams, you're going to start seeing a lot more names that are going to be more valued in a way than just some depth guy on the Devils or the Sabres or the Calgary Flames. I'm just throwing names out there at this point. So yeah. uh, we're going to turn toward the regular draft, which is which I found out this week. It's only six days after the expansion draft. Love that condensed offseason. Yeah, it's going to be one heck of a week. Oh, oh, it is. And so you guys, so looking at your, de- oh, dear God. You only have three draft picks this year. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. what do you do? I'll, I'll pick it. I'll pick it up right, right there, yeah, Rich, yeah, yeah. if you yeah. don't mind. And you know that was part of what made it so frustrating for this group this season was that Kyle Dubis went out at the trade deadline and pushed in all of his chips. He sent the first round pick out for Nick Foligno. He sent a third round pick to San Jose to eat half of Foligno's contracts to make the money work. Uh, he sends, I believe, the seventh round pick, or either this year or it was the sixth round pick next year, regardless for Riley Nash. Basically, he emptied the whole cabinet to try to bolster his group for what was expected to be a pretty surefire bet to at least make the second and potentially the final four in this year's playoff picture. Obviously, it didn't happen, and... You know, that's why a lot of GMs are resonant to push all their chips into the middle of the table at some point in time. Uh, you remember a couple of years ago, Yarmo Kekalainen went all in at the, doula, at the deadline to acquire Matt Duchesne and to acquire Ryan Dezingle. Look how that ended up. Ultimately, they get bounced in the first round, and then everybody leaves town. Duchesne leaves, Panarin leaves, Bobrovsky leaves, and then you don't have your draft picks either. So that was a complete disaster. Looking at the draft this year, I mean, I haven't even paid like that close of attention to the prospects that are available in the top 30 because it looks like the Maple Leafs pick will probably end up being in the 50s, their first pick in the second round. Like It's a total wash for them this year with three picks. Now, we have seen Kyle Dubas in the past have a willingness to trade down, whether teams will be willing to do that this year, given the fact that a fairly weak scouting class as it's been really difficult for the scouts to travel around and really get a good look at a lot of the players shortened seasons. Uh, you know, the OHL WHL, like all really just had difficulty moving along there. So it's going to be a difficult year to scout. I would expect that Kyle Dubas probably with his picks will continue on the trend they made last year, uh, likely picking players out of the European league, whether it's the DEL, the SHL, the KHL. He seems to like the European prospects a lot. I would expect him to follow that uh, sort of cookie cutter or that sort of, um, I guess, established mentality moving into this season. But certainly the, the cupboard is pretty bare and they're going to have to really translate those picks into some useful players down the line to parlay into pieces that are going to be useful because they don't have a whole lot in the pipeline right now. That's just sad because uh, me being a, a Hershey Bears fan, I remember five or six years ago when the Marlies were just ridiculously good, when you had, you know, Nylander, Mardner were down there, and just the farm system was just so rich. 
and and they eventually would, you know, either become the bottom six for the Maple Leafs or would be the future trade assets as well. And it just it, it amazes me to see it just go from one end of the spectrum to another. I mean, I knew things things were bad up there in Leafland, but this is this is hedging your bets. This is literally an all-in year. I'm not trying to dig into the wounds, but I didn't realize it was that bad. It was it was all-in, Rich. And the one thing I will say is about the last expansion draft, the Leafs were very fortunate in that situation because all their young stars were under the threshold where they didn't need to be protected and they couldn't get picked up by Vegas. This year, it's like they're going to lose some key players based off the fact that they do have to protect like the likes of Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, John Tavares, all their big players now need to be protected from being selected by the Kraken. So you couple losing some guys and that are losing a guy in the expansion draft and losing certainly some guys in free agency, there's going to be a lot of holes in this roster that the Leafs are going to have to address moving into this offseason. And a lot of questions moving forward about what they're going to do with guys who have been a part of this core for a long time. You Look at a guy like Morgan Riley entering the last year of his contract, uh, about $5 million a year, I believe, the AAV on that. That's been a bargain for this team for the last several years, and you got to feel that looking at the dollar amounts that similar defensemen who put up similar offensive numbers have been getting on the free agent market, it's out of the question to think this guy couldn't garner $8.59, million a year. And that's going to be pretty rich for the Maple Leafs, so they're going to have to make some tough, tough decisions around pieces that have been a part of this core for the substantial part of the last four or five seasons to see if that's how they want to move forward because the results haven't been there, and this is a results-driven league. I know that Larry Tannenbaum, the president of MLSE, will have uh, been having some choice words behind closed doors for team president Brendan Shannon and GM Kyle Dubas. Uh, we know that they have a lot of influence over the moves that the team makes, regardless of whether that's made public or not. So if uh, they're starting to uh, see a little bit of a shorter fuse, then I would not be surprised at all to see uh, the GM make some moves this offseason that could be uh, could be big news, some big pieces on the move. So let's look ahead to October, you know, and I, I could, you know, I could do an entire episode about you guys and just asking about where this Leafs team goes because it just it seems like as we're talking, I'm finding out one thing with you guys, but discovering something else fascinating as as well. So let's let, let's go to October and why should the Maple Leafs faithful be optimistic heading into next season? Well, they shouldn't, Rich. Like, you look at the last five seasons. Okay, so let's go back. Five years ago, they make the playoffs. They aren't supposed to make the playoffs. They end up losing to Washington in six games. That's a pretty feel-good story. Like, everybody's, you know, okay with that. The following season, they go, they play Boston in the playoffs. They lose in seven. The following season, they play Boston in the playoffs. They're up in game six with a chance to close it out. They lose. They lose in seven. The following year, they go to Columbus in the play-in series, lose in five, are not even a playoff team mind you, technically with their elimination there. And then this year, they're up 3-1, to one, which is the worst one of all, and they blow the lead um, in the series and ultimately end up getting eliminated. Leafs fans don't have anything to look forward to next year outside of an outstanding regular season team. It doesn't matter what this team accomplishes in the regular season. They could go 82-0, and and it would not matter a lick to this fan base because the results have to come in the postseason. They have to prove that they can win a round. They have to prove that they can get this monkey off their back and ultimately, 
it's not going to matter regardless of the success that they have in the regular season because the narrative now has been established that regardless of regular season success, whether they win the division, whether they dominate Tampa Bay, Boston, which is also going to be a very difficult division next year, by the way, with the uh, ascension of the Florida Panthers as well, not to mention the Habs who are in the cup final. This division is going to be difficult outside Buffalo and Detroit, but the results won't matter. They have to get it done in the postseason. And they're going to have to make some changes to the roster to try to be more competitive and get over the hump because it's not getting it done. And the fan base has had enough. Well, that sets up easily for the next question. <laughs> Sorry to go on a rant and rave there, but no, 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 the no, temperature no. is hot up here, Rich. You, you, Even a couple of weeks after elimination. Uh, Ken, Ken, do not apologize. I love the passion. <laughs> and I dealt with... Canadian of me. And... And I dealt with it with the uh, St. Louis Blues a couple weeks ago. So do so. Do not apologize. I love the passion. I love all of it. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to lob this pitch in there and just watch you launch it over the wall. Why should the fans be depressed heading into October? Why should they be depressed? Uh, well, where, where do we even begin? Uh, the lack of draft capital moving into the next year, the lack of postseason success, uh, the fact that is the a lot of the stuff that I just said before, to be honest, it's a difficult division. You're going to have uh, Boston. You're going to have Tampa Bay. You're going to have Florida. You're going to have Montreal who are in the cup finals. That's going to be difficult. Um, basically, it's going to be beating a dead horse here, man. Like They need to have the success in the postseason and up against the cap with a flat cap, which is also, you know, works terribly against the Maple Leafs' favor. And to their, you know, in their defense, nobody knew that there was going to be a pandemic and nobody knew that the cap was going to be flattened out for the next several years. And when they signed all these guys to big deals, they assumed that the percentage of the cap that they were taking up was going to decrease over time. Well, that didn't happen. So now you have to fill out the rest of your roster with uh, minimal budget, trying to find spare parts at the, at the bin at the local Mavis Discount Auto wherever the hell it is and try to make cobble together a bottom six and a bottom two defensive pairing and a backup goaltender who's going to be able to be successful in that division. Um, One positive I would say was the play of Jack Campbell this year. I was very impressed with what he was able to do, but if we look at his career on the whole, he hasn't established to this point in time that he's able to play, you know, in a back-to-back situation or multiple nights in a row Oftentimes they were starting him one night and then he'd take a game off. That's not going to be able to happen for him moving forward. If he's going to be the starting goaltender for this franchise, he's going to need to be able to be a little bit more durable. He's going to be able to need to play on more short rest. I'm not certain that he's able to do that at this point. So it remains to be seen. The good news is is that his contract is pretty affordable for the uh, level of play that he was putting up next season. So that's a bright spot for the team, but I got to tell you, Rich, as a, a fan of the team, as t- having talked and listened to sports radio up here ad nauseum, who have all been you know, doing the eulogies for weeks now about what's wrong with this group, there's not a lot of optimism anymore surrounding this team. There's a lot of questions, a lot of massive question marks about what the ceiling of this team actually is. Because although every year, it seems in the regular season, everybody's ready to plan the parade down Young Street, Every year they come up short, breaking the fan base's heart. And it's the same song and dance. And to be quite honest, to think it's going to be any different the next year, 
Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa. With over 50 years of sports betting experience, Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Uh, makes me feel like a, like I'm an idiot every year that I think this year could be different because the team time and time again proves that they haven't learned enough to be able to close out a playoff series once you get into you know playing that hockey in May and June. Wow. Wow. I, I, I love stuff like that. This is why I, I love doing the, these interviews and just, just hearing – what it's like up there in in the great white north in toronto and, and how you guys feel i love the passion and i can completely see that as well and unfortunately for the toronto maple leafs it's a sound they are all too used to hearing and to the maple leafs we say game over and i'm gonna keep using that sound bite all the way to the finish line killer instinct for all those who don't don't know for all of you under the age of 22 so, Kenneth, thank you very much for coming on and lamenting about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm going before we get out of here. I'm going to give you a few minutes to, um, you know, pimp your pro- podcast or any other project you're working on. So, my friend, the board is thine. Hey, Rich, thanks again for having me. So happy to join you today. Uh, uh, yeah, you can find all our content. Follow, throw us a follow on Twitter at LeafsPod. Uh, myself at Ken Stapon at B McCarthy ninety five is my co host. We have new episodes on Monday and Thursday. It's on the Hockey Podcast Network, so be sure to check those out throughout the summer. Uh, you can also find our content available on TSN 1050 Radio, where I'm a producer. Uh, some great content on there, whether it's Overdrive. They always have the greatest guests for the coach, so check out uh, the TSN 1050 website to get all the awesome interviews uh, and great content throughout the Stanley Cup Finals. And Rich, just wanted to say thanks again for having me today. It's been a pleasure, and... Uh, Next time that I join you, hopefully it's on the other side and in the winner's circle. We can only hope, man. And who knew? Who knew a hack <laughs> like me? Health, I have to hope that that's the case. <laughs> very, very much so. It's the only thing you got to hold on to, damn it. And who knew a hack like me would be talking to somebody from TSN? You know, who knew? Thank you very much for your time, man. And, you know, hey, you know, you know, as Red Green once said, remember, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Keep your stick on the ice. We'll be right back. Do you want a true champion's perspective? Well, come on over to the Bulls broadcast, where we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, have some friendly banter, and of course, hockey name of the day. If you pronounce it, you can get it. Anthony Nunschwander. Ah, you didn't pronounce it right. Anthony? Anthony Nunschwander. It's, it's N-E-U-E-N. It's Neuenschwander. Anthony Neuenschwander. Dude, I always slept in German class, so I don't know 
I don't know how you expected me to put that together. Come on. You only took it for four years. I took it for two. Took it for two years? Oh, no. Jado yeah. took it that long. I, I took it for two years and was, like, asleep in all of German 2. Oh, you, you, you only took it in, in uh, junior high. You didn't take yeah. it in high school at all. No. Yeah, she sent us across the hallway, and it was, like, me and, I don't know, five other people, and all we did was just goof off because it was an empty room of just us while she was too busy yelling at you guys because you guys were a terrible <laughs> class. No, <laughs> We were in terrible class. A couple people were terrible people. Uh, not gonna you. mention names. Not gonna call it anybody in this pod. It was Chase Crawshaw. It was hundred <laughs> percent not me. Oh boy, I know a couple of those names, but uh, yeah, it's a good point, Chase. We won't mention those here. New episodes every Monday, only on the Hockey Podcast Network. And we're back here on Game Over. A great White North edition. It was not originally intended to be that way, but that's just how things turned out. So up next on this Tour de Force is a team that was founded, well, originally back in 1979 after having seven seasons in the WHA. At that time, they had such names in the rafters as Bobby Hall and Thomas Steen until they left us and then they returned. They are another Canadian team we are welcoming on and a favorite of this show as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the Winnipeg Jets. And joining me is Brendan of Skates in Place. Re- re- <laughs> I can talk. Representing the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, Brandon got that correctly. Thank you for joining me. Hey, no problem. Happy to be on with you. So, um... So we will start this out the uh, the same way as I asked every other person that comes on this show. With the Winnipeg Jets, I think you're the first second-round team I have on. So what happened, as the kids like to say? Yeah, that's a question that we're still trying to figure out here in Winnipeg, actually, because let's face it, the Winnipeg Jets weren't really competitive at all during their really brief series against Montreal. I mean... Obviously, the Mark Scheifele suspension looms large over everything, losing your number one center. I mean, it's going to be tough for a lot of teams to win. So once that went down, you know, the the cards were definitely stacked against the Jets' favor. But what was really so jarring is, you know, not the fact that they just lost to Montreal, is that they were just so thoroughly dominated. I mean, Connor Hellebuck was outstanding in at least giving the Jets a chance against Montreal. But outside of him, I don't think there's a single player you could name that had a good series against the Habs. So all the good feelings and all the positive vibes from the sweep of the Oilers completely went away. And then there were even more questions, you know, just what is this team really going to be in the future? And unfortunately, there's been some flaws that have been in the mix for a couple years now. And once again, they got exposed by Montreal in that series. And it's going to be up to Kevin Cheveldayoff to try to address those issues this offseason. It's and by the time this this episode does drop, I'll have my uh, cup final preview up. And I think I remember saying with Winnipeg, you guys just got priced. I mean, you, it, it it it's hard to describe really what happened. I mean, yeah, you lost uh, Shifley, but it's like your team proverbially spent everything in the previous round, and in comes Montreal, and next thing you know, you're done. 
Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, we, we're watching Montreal do this. I mean, after beating the Golden Knights, too, I think there's a little more respect thrown that Habs way. I mean, you know, like we could talk about why Winnipeg didn't win, but Montreal is playing some of the best hockey on the planet right now. I mean, you have to give them a decent amount of credit first, but what the Habs have done to Vegas and first to Winnipeg is they expose their issues on the back end. The Winnipeg Jets don't have a lot of guys on, on their defense core that can move the puck pretty well they, they don't have guys that can clear the front of the net there's just these issues have been in place since Dustin Bufflin left and Jacob Truba was traded and Tyler Myers departed in free agency and that was a couple of seasons ago so this is no surprise to anybody here in Winnipeg it was just you know I, I guess there was the hope that after beating Edmonton you know maybe this ragtag group of blue liners could be just enough to give some support to the high-skilled forwards and to Connor Hellebuck. But unfortunately, when you play against a team that's played at a really high level, like we saw with Montreal, it, it's just not going to be anywhere near enough. And like I said, the search for not even just one, but two top four defensemen continues for, I think it's the third straight offseason right now. Oof, that's uh, that's a lot of issues. And we, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. So let us turn to... By the time this podcast drafts, uh, drops, we're about a month out from Seattle, so we're getting into when Cthulhu comes a calling. Who gets left out on the corner for Seattle from Winnipeg? I mean, as we're getting into these playoff teams, it seems like there's less and less like like names that are going to be put out there. So, whom from Winnipeg might get left out? Yeah, so the Jets, they're, they're not as bad off as some teams are, but they are potentially in the mix to lose a pretty impactful piece. Uh, as it stands right now up front, I mean, the forward selections are pretty simple for them, um, but it would be Mason Appleton that would be up for grabs and expansion. I mean, he had a breakout season on the third line for the Jets, playing mostly with Adam Lowry, half a point a game. So that would be, and on an ELC as well. So, you know, making under million dollars players like that in the flat cap are extremely valuable that's going to be a major loss to the Jets if Seattle is able to take him we'll see what happens with the Andrew Kopp negotiations too though he's an RFA and last time around went to arbitration and the relationship between the team and player isn't super rosy right now so if Andrew Kopp is moved then Mason Appleton could be protected and then up front the Jets wouldn't lose too impactful of a piece the real debate, though, is lying on the blue line right now because, as it stands, Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk are the two obvious names that will be protected, which leaves one of Dylan DeMello or Logan Stanley that will be up for grabs for Seattle. A lot of people are... I mean, Logan Stanley completely blew expectations out of the water this season. Everyone thought that, you know, four or five years after he was drafted in the first round that the NHL is just not even an option for him. And he had a whale of an offseason and then delivered about as good of a rookie season as anybody here could have anticipated. So, you know, being six foot seven, a young guy and on a cheap contract, a lot of people want to keep him around. But Dylan DeMello obviously signed after being brought in from Ottawa. He's proven that you can put him pretty much with anybody out there on the ice and he's going to elevate them and, you know, help them play at a higher level. So it's, it's a tough call. I, I don't know as of right now where the Winnipeg Jets are leaning, but that's the uh, debate here in Winnipeg is DeMello or Stanley right now. I lean a little bit more towards Dylan DeMello 
but I know there's a large, large portion of the fan base that doesn't want to see a six foot seven defenseman that's making under a million dollars leave town after you spend four or five years developing him. True. And being a fan of a farm club myself, I can appreciate someone like that who spent four years scraping and finally has a good year. And then lo and behold, oops, expansion draft. Um, you know, and Dylan DeMello seems like a decent option to get sent out. Plus that's $3 million off the books and that'll definitely help in a flat cap year. So we're going to take a look at an event that's a couple of days later, if not a week later to the draft and Winnipeg has uh, four draft picks this year. I've seen voice, at least all of them are front loaded. Um, do you see Winnipeg like maybe taking somebody in a first round considering you guys are going to be in the uh, probably early 20s? Or do you just draft out and look to get more pieces? Yeah, you know, Kevin Chevalayoff, just looking at his track record, has not traded that first round pick to move back in the draft and to acquire more picks. So, I mean, he obviously could, but I would be pretty surprised just because that's that hasn't been his MO as of yet. I mean, smart money is that the Winnipeg Jets stand pat and they make a pick. And, you know, I, I know it's always best player available, but the forward prospect stock right now in Winnipeg is a little dry after a number of the really talented youngsters they have are now elevated up with the big club. It's Cole Perfetti and then not a whole lot after him. So, I mean, forward, if you're looking at an organizational deficit right now, would be probably the pick a lot of fans would want to see. But I'm also not going to totally dismiss the idea that Kevin Chevalier moves the first-round pick as part of a trade to bring in a defenseman like we've been talking about. I mean, I think the Jets are going to be extremely aggressive this offseason in trying to finally cure the woes that has been their blue line and give Connor Hellebuck a little more support. So, I, I mean, I guess if I had to make a bet, I, I would imagine it's either a forward that's picked in that slot or we see it shipped out for, I, I don't know who the defenseman might be, but as part of a package to bring in a big name on the blue line. Well, there will be some defensemen on the books as we head into uh, the free agency hurricane, which is scheduled to make landfall sometime in August. And you keep bringing up your GM, uh, Kevin, uh, shovel, shovel day off. That can't be right. Checks notes on cap friendly. And yes, yes, it is. <laughs> That's just one of the more unique GM names I, I've heard out there. Yes. So, so we'll now move toward October looking, looking way ahead. Um, why should Jets fans be optimistic heading into October? Well, with the current roster, I mean, you should be optimistic because you arguably have the best goaltender on the planet. <laughs> I mean, Connor Hellebuck, to, to me, is a no doubt about it top five goalie. I'll make the argument top three all day long, and I think he belongs right there with, you know, the Vasilevskis and the Prices and, and everybody else that's been up for hardware these past couple of years. So Connor Hellebuck has shown that even with subpar play in front of him he's probably enough by himself to carry you to a playoff spot so you know that's obviously the most encouraging piece that the jets have moving forward but even with the blue line issues and and the forward core isn't as dangerous as it's been in years past but in the top six they're as talented as as any team in the nhl right i mean mark shifley despite some defensive deficiencies is easily a point of game player down the middle possibly 90 to 100 points Next year, Nikolai Ehlers had a bit of a, I don't want to call it a breakout necessarily because he's been so, so good for so long, but 
maybe just cemented his place amongst the best in the NHL. You know, Blake Wheeler is regressing a little bit, but you're still talking about a high-end point producer on the power play. And then Kyle Connor is one of the most gifted goal scorers in the NHL. Um, on top of that, you know, maybe the most exciting but also biggest question mark going into the year will be what kind of player will Pierre-Luc Dubois be for the Jets next season? Because I think it's safe to say he underwhelmed a lot of Jets fans with his play since being acquired. But also having said that, I mean, it's a really difficult situation. You're traded, a pandemic season, you're quarantined for two weeks, then he suffers an injury. Like, you could just never get his footing right. So I think there's a lot of excitement that if Pierre-Luc Dubois can be the guy he was in Columbus, that this Jets team all of a sudden is is really deep and they can finally have some solid secondary scoring, something that they've lacked since Brian Little was, you know, playing extremely well for this team and even Paul Stastny back in 2018. If there's another thing you guys have going for you is that outside of Blake Wheeler, your forward core is still very young, averaging about 28 years old. Again, you take Blake Wheeler out of the con- out of that, and that's that's a really good group to have, especially in a uh, in the NHL where it is a speed based game. You got to have Jets, and you have Connor Hallibuck, the American Dream, who is a really good goaltender. He's not on a first name basis like a Holtby, Vasilevsky, or Price, but he's almost there. And there are a ton of NHL clubs that would kill for that, metaphorically speaking. So let's 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 pivot, as Ross on Friends once said. Why should Jets fans be depressed heading into October? Well, I, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but it's the blue line. The blue line hasn't been fixed for a couple seasons now. I, I know there have been some circumstances as to why that's the case, and you know I don't necessarily blame Kevin Chevaldeoff for not making a, a bigger move in the past because, I mean, let's face it, the Dustin Bufflin retirement happened on the first day of training camp. You have no time at that point to make a move, and you're not going to find a Dustin Bufflin just at the drop of a hat. So, you know, I understand how how it got to this point, but there's just no excuses anymore. I mean, it just quite frankly has to be improved. There has to be likely two pieces brought in here. I mean, maybe even more if the Jets lose either DeMello or Stanley in the expansion draft. Um, I, but I just know Jets fans are tired of excuses and they want action. And, you know, it's up to, to Chevy and company to find a way. You know, I mean, Winnipeg's not a, an attractive destination by no means, but there's other ways to either sign players or, you know, acquire players via the trade market that don't have a no-trade clause or don't have a say in, in whether or not they want to come to Winnipeg. So, I mean, that is clearly the biggest issue going into the season from a player personnel standpoint. But... You know, Paul Maurice is another hot-button topic here in Winnipeg. And a bit surprised that Kevin Chevalier was, I, I guess, so quick to support Paul Maurice at, at the end of the year press conference and say, yeah, he's our coach and he's coming back for next season. Um, there's, a, there's a very, very vocal segment of fans here that have been done with Paul Maurice for a while. And that was only exacerbated by this past season. He is the second longest tenured coach in the NHL. Only John Cooper has been one with one team longer. And the guys that are around Paul Maurice as well all have Stanley Cups to their names. That obviously is not the case here in Winnipeg. So, you know, as far as maybe a pessimistic side of things, you know, a lot of people feel like a new coaching staff, a new voice behind the bench could be what can push this team to the next level. Whereas, you know, with Paul Maurice still here, how can things ultimately really change moving forward when he's had 
you know, ample time to get this team plugged the right way and, and just hasn't been able to do so. And it's always about timing when these coaching changes happen. And and I honestly ask this, and I'm sure you're going to detail this on your show. Even if the Jets would have fired him after after they got bounced, who's really out there? I mean, who's a guy that, that you absolutely have to go out there and, and get? Um, you know, and maybe if things go sideways next year, maybe he does does get whacked and you pick up somebody midseason. It's worked before. But who knows? Now, we, we have some time to play with here um, before we wrap things up. So a bit of a bonus question for you. And you, you brought this up a little bit. Pierre-Luc Dubois. He is an expiring after this following season. Five mil cap hit, only 23. Do you think he sticks around? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I do think he sticks around. I, and I do think he's really primed to have a big season you know I, I mentioned earlier just all the things that were working against him after being acquired by the jets it's kind of a clean slate for him now moving forward so he's going to have a full off season he knows his teammates he knows who he's going to play with he kind of moved around as well he played at both center and on the wing for the jets i think this upcoming season he is primarily going to be slotted in as the number two centerman behind mark shifley so i i just think he's going to be a lot more familiarized and, and confident in, in what his role is going to be. And he's going to play with, you know, so, some damn good players as well, whether it's a Kyle Connor, a Nikolai Ehlers, a Blake Wheeler, whoever it may be. He's going to have a ton of talent out there on his wing as well. Plus, like you mentioned, you know, contract year upcoming here, players tend to uh, up the ante a little bit when there's a big payday at the end of the rainbow. And I think we're going to see the best. I, I really do think we're going to see the best out of Pierre-Luc Dubois so far. It's going to cost the Jets a hell of a lot more than the $5 million he's being paid right now. But guys like that are really, really hard to find. And there aren't going to be too many one-two center punches better in the NHL than Shifley and Dubois, potentially two-point a game centermen. Definitely. So to the Winnipeg Jets, we love you. We We really do. But like everyone else so far, we say game over. Oh, I'm going to miss that soundbite when I'm done using it. So, Brandon, thank you very much for joining us all the way up in the Great White North. I'm going to give you a few minutes, you know, to, uh, you know, pimp your podcast or whatever project else you're working on. So, my friend, the board is thine. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Yeah, so skates and plates, uh, Winnipeg Jets talk, and food talk as well um, on the Hockey Podcast Network. And you can find us on any podcasting platform. Um, but yeah, if you want some Jets fix, Skates and Plates is the place to go. Episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And then on every Friday, we speak with a member of the food community here in Winnipeg or in the province of Manitoba. A ton of great people, some really, really nice people that do some awesome work, make some great food as well. And so it's always fun getting to know, you know, the secrets of different cuisines and, and their stories about how they got into cooking in the restaurant biz so uh those come up on every friday uh but yeah i mean thanks for the thanks for the there check it out if you can and um we're back on tuesday with a look at the defense core so like i mentioned this is uh <laughs> this is an episode jets fans want to tune into and yeah we'll get into some names that could potentially be on the way to winnipeg because what was uh thrown out there on the ice last year will not be acceptable moving forward 
So we'll have a little bit of fun trying to figure out how the Jets can uh, at least field a, a league average blue line for next season in front of Connor Hellebuck. Uh, hockey and food. It was almost as if it was meant to be. So thank you so much for joining it. That'll do it for this edition of Game Over, all Great White North edition. And I think it's about time I head to Yinzertown. I've put this off long enough. This is going to happen, and maybe we'll get another black and gold team on here as well. My name's Richard Blosser. We'll catch you next time. That's the end of the game. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa. With over 50 years of sports betting experience, Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.